Welcome to the Seek First podcast with Steve and Jordan. This is a podcast about seeking first the kingdom of God where we work, live, and play. The content of each podcast will correspond to the current sermon series at Ontario Christian Church, current events that rise up, and also to the church calendar. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the Seek First podcast with Steve and George. We're going to be covering episode 14 today, looking at the parable of the prodigal son. That parable is found in Luke chapter 15. If you uh, have your Bible and would like to turn there, we'll be reading the passage as well. But in Luke 15 specifically, Jesus tells three parables, all in response to tax collectors and sinners drawing near to him. And when the Pharisees and the scribes saw this, they grumbled and they said, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And we'll touch on that more later, but that's the context for which Jesus shares these parables. He's responding to their grumbling, the Pharisees saying, man, he he dines with sinners. He receives them and eats with them. Like, who is this guy? So, Steve, any opening thoughts you want to share before we jump in and read? Uh, Mainly the kind of main focus, I guess, is going to be on who are we in this narrative and what role does God play? So just kind of keeping that in mind. Um, as we kind of parse this out, so that's the only thought I have. Great. All right, let's go. Great. Let's let's see where we can find ourselves in the narrative. We're going to pick it up in verse eleven of Luke chapter fifteen. It starts out, and he, being Jesus, said, "There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me.' And he divided his property between them." Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Let's start here in this first section, this first scene of the story, the first paragraph. Steve, what jumps out to you as we read through that? Pigs. I know it seems strange. Yes, here's why. There is a reason for it. Uh, Pigs in Jewish culture represented what? Uncleanliness, right? Mm -hmm. Unclean, unclean. And so it's interesting to me that uh, as Jesus is sharing this parable, he's talking about the fact that there's pigs present, and he's one feeding pigs and eating the slop of the pigs and... Uh, So it kind of gives, I think, a representation of the fact that this younger brother, this younger son, um, has has obviously chosen a lifestyle that's considered unclean in a lot of ways. Like he made a decision to uh, take his uh, inheritance early, which is odd. Normally you get your inheritance after the person passes away. So he makes this demand. The father gives into it to bless his son, and he squanders it all and uh, lives a lifestyle. Uh, And if you know the parable at all, this has been preached on a lot, right? Uh, But so ultimately uh, the, the younger son the younger brother um, becomes unclean with his decision making and he squanders it and uh, so it's just an interesting picture uh, to be a Jew around pigs is not a good thing right Mm -hmm. and so just the picture that we have of this younger young man is that he made some horrible decisions and now in Jewish culture even the guy shouldn't be around anybody because he's unclean that would be my initial thoughts how about you sure I mean even back to um Verse 12, when Jesus starts out the story, he says, The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Um, you said it's very 
uncommon <laughs> to uh, get your inheritance mm-hmm. before uh, your family member passes. He's basically saying to his dad, I want your stuff, not you. Yep. Uh, he's basically wishing his dad to be dead. Correct. Um, he's saying, I'd rather have all the things that you're promising to give me than have you alive. Mm-hmm. And so that is a, just imagine what that did to the father's heart. Mm-hmm. And then hold on to that because we're going to cover the way the father responds. But I just thought that was important to point out. He's basically wishing death upon his father. And the other thing also is that he, um, he divided it between them. So even the brother that didn't ask for it got the blessing. Mm-hmm. So it kind of puts, yeah, it's just an interesting thing, I guess, to think about as we go through the narrative is that the, the older brother got the same blessing. Um, even though apparently, according to the parable, he didn't ask for it. Right. Right. And then what what the younger brother did, you know, how he ended up among pigs, like you pointed out. He gathered all he had and took a journey, and he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. He began to be in need. And that's when he went out to be in the field to feed pigs, and he wanted to eat the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. And so it's the consequence of his sin that led him to be where he was. And this is really a picture of what we all have done in response to God creating us and giving us life. We have, we have, we have his image. We've, we've, uh, turned away from him, said, I want your stuff and not you. We worshiped the creation over the creator and all of those things. So any thoughts on that before we move forward in the parable? Uh, the only other thought that I have, which wouldn't quite go in line with that, but it'd be, um, the reality that we think as Americans, so if I give my son or, and daughter, you know, their inheritance early, it's kind of like, oh, it doesn't affect anybody else, just them, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get the blessing and they move on. But in this specific uh, narrative with Jewish culture, Jewish community, and we'll see later on servants are involved, uh, this this father would have owned a lot of land and he would have had a lot of business and he would have had basically owned a community, not just um, just a home. He owned a community. And so other people's lives were going to be dictated by the decisions both of these brothers made. Uh, Obviously, the father had done well for himself. And uh, if you're a servant of the father, uh, one of the other servants in that land, you were living pretty good because this seems like a very wise person. And then you, uh, as a servant, find out that he's given this resources away. And then this son goes off and doesn't keep the resources within the community, but just squanders them everywhere Mm -hmm. else. And so there's... I think that uh, just to begin to consider the fact that this is going to affect more people than we think. And just uh, as an American, we have a harder time understanding that culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just to kind of have that, I guess, in the in the back of our minds as we continue with the narrative uh, of this parable that, that Jesus shares. So this does, uh, sin does affect a lot of people. It does. So, And just to raise the question, what does it mean that the Father did give it to him? Hmm. I mean, that's just, he knows. Mm-hmm. He, he he probably knows his son well. He knows his heart. He knows what he's going to do. He's even knows that it's an offense to him. Like again, what would it? How would it make the father feel to, for him to say, "Hey, Dad, I want your stuff, not you," and he still is like, "Here you go." Right. Yeah, that's that's um, difficult. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the flesh, I probably wouldn't have done that, but sure. there's a reason for this this parable. Right. Right. Should we keep going in it then? Please. All righty. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, and that is that is a line right there. That's one of the lines that sticks out to me more than any other one in this mm. uh, parable. 
He said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so maybe we should just stop there. And Or do you want to keep going? No, that's fine. There's a couple of things that pop out for sure. Yeah, so... Just like like I said, but when he came to himself, and so he's he's like he realizes the state that he's in. I have I have taken my father's property and stuff. I've squandered it in reckless living. I'm among pigs, as Steve pointed out earlier. He's unclean. He comes to himself, and then he he starts to prepare a bit of an apology speech to his dad. Mm-hmm. And there's an order to it. Mm-hmm. What it, I mean when you look at the order. Um, it's similar to what David uh, says in the Psalms, um, against you and God have I sinned, right? And so he starts off his uh, his apologies. He said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. So mm-hmm. he even he, there seems to, like when he comes to his senses, he seriously comes to his senses, uh, which gives us the picture of the fact that he has understood that he's offended not just uh, his earthly father, but the heavenly father as well. Mm-hmm. So it's just a, an important thing to remember uh, to get right with God before we get right with others. For sure. So, yeah. Absolutely. Anything else that jumped out to you? No, let's keep going. Mm-hmm. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. That would have been quite the party. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. What jumps out to you there? Oh, so many so things. So much. Yeah, so many things. So uh, the father runs, which, we I mean, if you've heard any sermon on this, you've already heard that, right? So the shame is on uh, the father in this case because he'd have had to pull up his cloak, you know, strapped himself up and then started to run. And, and um, someone in that position doesn't show their legs. And so nor does that person run. They don't have a need to. They have servants and other people to do it. And so uh, he shamed himself by doing that. So he took on shame of uh, the son in order to meet him outside of the the border of the community. And if you're in the community and you hear the son's coming back, you're not real happy necessarily at that first word that spreads. We I mean, word spreads, right? And so if you're in the community and you find out, oh, no, he's come back. You know, is he coming back for more? Like, mm-hmm. is he going to totally ruin this community? Who knows what all went through your mind. Um, but there's a number of things that occurred there uh, for the father to have run. There's a lot of shame that was been involved, but an extreme amount of love. So he wanted mm-hmm. to he wanted to get to the son uh, before the other people did. Um, so, And then there's a Jewish practice. Did you want to share about that, or do you want me to jump into it? Okay. Go ahead and jump into it. I actually heard about this a number of years ago. I can't remember exactly where I heard it, to be honest with you. But uh, the Jewish uh, tradition of kazaza, which is basically uh, the ability for a community to shame and to cast out um, somebody from their community. Um, so you have to meet them if they were away and they're coming back. You have to meet them at the border of the community, the town, and uh, break a large, gla- uh, large clay jar or large clay vessel in, in front of them. Um, and basically cursing them and saying, you're not part of us. You're, you're never going to be part of us. Uh, you've broken us and you're broken. And our relationship and covenant between one another is gone. So 
go away basically. Mm-hmm. And so it's a tradition basically that in order to um, have the blessing, the dad would have gotten there before the community did and did this ritual. If they'd have done the ritual, the son's not allowed back. Done mm-hmm. deal. He's cursed. Um, but in this case, the father gave the blessing before the community got there, which is just a really cool picture of the father. Uh, but I can't remember if we're there. We probably have when I was kind of dazed off for a second, but he was watching for his son to return mm-hmm. as well. So mm-hmm. um, so he, when he saw him, he ran with everything he had and got there to give him the blessing beforehand. But what else jumps out to you? Yeah, I mean, he, like you said, he was <clears throat> still a long way off. His father saw him. You know, like his father was watching. He was waiting for his son to come home. Um, and maybe maybe part of why he ran is so he, he beat the community to the Kazaza ceremony. It's like, no, this is my son. Like he is, he is yep. welcome back in. And one thing I find fascinating, um, and I remember listening to a podcast or a sermon and hearing this for the first time, but you know, if you go back up to verse 19, when he says, I'll rise and go to my father and I'll say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So he has three sentences in his apology speech. Well, if you go down to verse 21, his son said to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, there's one sentence. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Two sentences. And then the father speaks. Mm -hmm. He starts speaking to his servants. He doesn't even let his son finish his apology speech before he's like, my son is home. Mm-hmm. Please go kill the fattened calf. Get my best robe. Like he's literally, I mean, this dude's been with pigs, first of all, and he's been squandering and reckless living, doing all the things you could imagine. And the father says, get my best robe and put it on him. This is my son. Um, and it made me think of in Genesis 3 when God sends Adam and Eve out of the garden, he clothes them, mm-hmm. which is still saying, uh, you are mine. I'm, I'm, dry, I'm sending you out. You have, you have failed, but you are still mine no matter what. Um, and I just, I find that encouraging. For sure. I mean, in uh, 20, it says that, that the father had compassion mm-hmm. and hugged and kissed him, gave him the blessing of uh, kissing of bless blessing of kiss <laughs> anyhow uh, something like that yeah so he had compassion on him and I, it's interesting because i'm not sure that that is the first response that most people would have in the flesh mm-hmm. is like oh you spent it all and you lived wild in your home you know mm-hmm. what are you going to do to me now you know but in this case that in the parable uh the father has much compassion mm-hmm. uh, which is just uh, beyond i think the flesh that's got to be from god right which we obviously know who the father is in the narrative but sure yeah um, the other thing, do you have something else? Jump 24, um, for my son was dead and is alive again, mm. which we just talked about Sunday, actually, you know, being born again. Mm-hmm. And in this case, um, he understands that the son's coming back different and the, son, and the father's giving him, uh, the blessing of life again in this moment as well. Absolutely. The son was dead. He was, you know, he's cast out and he was dead. And so the father then brings him home, brings him in, throws the party and whatnot, which we'll get to in a minute more so. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, he had nothing to live for. There's nothing left to live for. And then the father brings him in and, um, gives him life. And so just a, a beautiful picture of kind of how we were as well, dead and lost and blind. And, mm-hmm. and yet, you know, God accepted us. So anything else for you in this section? Yeah. I was thinking about, um, the father, <clears throat> Like you mentioned, his response, he, he felt compassion. He, you know, he runs, he kisses him, he embraces him. Um, 
like like you said, this is not going to be our first response. Probably, you know, this is not going to be a fleshly response. This is going to be from the Spirit of God. Like you said, this is symbolic of God's love for us and mm-hmm. of God the Father embracing us. And I just I th- I think about his response and and I with like approachability mm-hmm. when we mess up. You know, or approachability, are we approachable right. when people around us mess up? And really, I think it comes down to how do we see ourselves and how do we see God's love to us in the midst of our own brokenness? And like the father was so approachable, even though the the apology speech that the son had prepared, you treat me as one of your hired servants. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Mm-hmm. Before he knew how his dad was going to respond, he still went back. He's like, he knows he messed up. He's going to apologize. And hopefully my dad will let me do this. But his, his father responds far and above what he could have imagined would happen. He's, his his identity is restored as his son, his status in the family. So just the idea of approachability and, and graciousness. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, just kind of what you've already mentioned. But um, the father obviously... <laughs> The son knew the father loved him to some degree, even mm-hmm. wanted to be his servant or whatever. Um, so the assumption that the son had, even though he had squandered all, um, and he was broken in heart and spirit, and he came back to the father, and knowing that there's still probably going to be consequence in his mind, there's going to be a lot of consequence. You know, I'm no longer going to be a son. I'm going to be a servant, but I'm willing to go there because at least I know that my father has integrity and character and uh, he'll love me that way, you know? And so put himself in deadness to his father, but um, he could have been totally rebellious or just like full of shame and not felt that his father was safe to come to. Mm-hmm. Then he could have gone into the world and, you know, uh, literally died or something horrible could have happened to him in rebelliousness or shame or just fear. Um, and I know the scriptures say that the fear of the Lord is, is you know, the beginning of wisdom. Um, and so I think that he did have a healthy fear of what was about to happen, but he also knew that his father was safe, mm-hmm. someone he could go to and um, would help him. And uh, just the reality that that's our heavenly father. And then, like you said, do we reflect that as Christians? Do we reflect to others around us that um, even though we may be broken over what they've done or it may be injurious to us in some degree, um, that there's still if they repent and right, the son has repented at this mm-hmm. point, he's come back home. He's mm-hmm. turned away from his ways. He's come back home. He was obviously humble. He had an apology. There was just seeking forgiveness between God. And, and when you see that, then it's like, you know, I want to embrace that then. And I want to be a, the first thing though, is am I approachable enough for that person to even come to me with this stuff? Mm. Can they, am I trustworthy enough for them to even approach me with their own brokenness and their confession and, and repentance and willing to uh, hear them out mm-hmm. and, and, do they believe that I'm safe enough for that to occur? So I guess, yeah, just to continue some of the, what you're thinking there. Sure. And I, th- I think about the son, think about his childhood. This is probably not the first time he messed up. No, although guaranteed. on the consequential scale, he blew it this real is bad a big, here. Yeah, right, but right. Um, watching his dad's response throughout the years, like his, his father's response when he was little, little, and then growing up and making mistakes conditioned him to feel like it was okay for him to come back after completely blowing it, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, it's over years and years of the father pouring love and compassion on him. And I'm sure of course, setting him right when he needed it, but in a way that was loving and compassionate and disciplining him because he loves him, you know? And mm-hmm. so I just, that's what came to mind as you were talking, like 
this wasn't the first time he had to, or he was caught in his mistake or sin, or he had messed up and needed to go back to his father. I, I think it's probably safe to say that um, the way his father responded throughout his childhood years made it so he, he knew this was okay. Yeah, and I didn't plan on going here. We At least we didn't discuss this, but as I'm thinking this narrative through, or the parable through, also this should give hope to you parents out there that have done well. Mm. And yet... Mm. You know, I mean, especially for considering this being a parable about the heavenly father, who's obviously the best father, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so to give hope to say that it, um, the flip side would potentially also be you may have done everything you could, and yet there's still a negative consequence. But continue to continue to extend grace mm-hmm. and mercy. Um, if that child comes home, right? And so that's kind of the beautiful part of this as well, is that um, I know there's a, a number of, of, of parents out there that are that are dealing with shame and anger and frustration and just mm. feeling unworthy and what did I do wrong and all these kind of questions that enter into their minds as well, um, and that we can potentially respond negatively from those fears and shame, and just like the other son, right? And so we can become defensive or angry or frustrated or pull back or shame may keep us from embracing the call for our life as well. So I know we didn't plan on going there, but I think that there is in this fuller narrative, the reality that some of you out there may be going, I, I thought I did everything right. And yet, you know, my son, well, you know what, take comfort in that. Mm-hmm. You know, if you really did pursue that and you did right, um, then maybe in this case, the son or the daughter made their decision. And, but the key then would to be continue to pray for them, continue to look for them, right? That's what we see from this father. He continues to look and when, if, and when they do come back, uh, have compassion and Lord willing, you know, their hearts broken and they're ready for restoration. Um, so that's kind of, I, I know we didn't plan on going there, but I just wanted to kind of touch on that. Anybody out there that may have gone through that as well, just to take comfort in the fact that Jesus reminds us of, uh, as even the heavenly father, we mess up and he's the perfect father. So anything else? Uh, let's see, you're looking up something there. So go, go ahead and give us a quote. Yeah. Just while you're talking, I think that's great. Um, take, take heart. If we've done everything, if you've done everything right and it's still been that way. And I just, I was thinking about how the father receives his son in his sin and, how do we think God views us right. in our sin? Or how do we think God um, responds to us in our sin? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I know we went through this book in Sunday school uh, by Dane Ortland, Gentle and Lowly. Um, and I just, I was reading this chapter yesterday and it just made me think about it. Um, and it's, how does Jesus respond to us? Or what happens to like the heart of God when we sin? And when we are repentant, um, I think a lot of times we uh, think he's just waiting for us to get our act together or whatever it may be. But I just want to read a little bit of this uh, paragraph here. He had just quoted someone, uh, Thomas Goodwin, who is a, a Puritan author. But he's saying, this high and holy Christ does not cringe at reaching out and touching dirty sinners and numbed sufferers. Such embrace is precisely what he loves to do. He cannot bear to hold back. He cannot bear to hold back his compassion is what he's saying. We naturally think of Jesus touching us the way a little boy reaches out to touch a slug for the first time. Face screwed up, cautiously extending an arm, giving a yelp of disgust upon contact and instantly withdrawing. We picture 
the risen Christ approaching us with a severe and sour disposition. And he says, our natural intuition can only give us a God like us. The God revealed in the scripture deconstructs our intuitive predilections and startles us with one whose infinitude of perfections is masked by his infinitude of gentleness. Indeed, his perfections include his perfect gentleness. And what all that he's saying is uh, what we think about God and how God responds to our sin is not actually the way God responds to our sin. He is gentle and lowly in heart. And so when we sin, and especially when we are repentant, his heart is like bursting with compassion, wanting to run like the father to receive us back home. Um, as the father does in the prodigal son narrative and uh, put his ring on us and put his best robe on us and kill the fattened calf and eat and celebrate. Like this is how he responds to us when we repent. And I just, yeah, that's why I looked that up. And no, it's good. It's really, really good. I know. I think what we're going to do, I'm going to jump into Hebrews. We're going to pause this narrative or this parable. Um, Don't, don't pause your, button. I'm saying we're not going to read the rest of the parable. <laughs> so, cause I think we need to wrap up maybe next time with the other son. Great. Uh, cause I think it's really helpful for us as well, but definitely, um, the Hebrews passage, Hebrews chapter four, um, 14 and following says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. That being Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect have been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Um, and so thinking of the fact that even in this case, um, Jesus is the sacrifice. He's the go-between. He's the intercessor. He's the the mediator. He's the one that in, in has paid our consequence in this case and um, for our sin. And then we ha- can now come before the Father because of what Christ has done, not because mm-hmm. of what we've done. Obviously, repentance, confession, that all plays a role, right? That's our hearts being bent back towards the Father. But Jesus paid it all for us so that we now— ev- I don't come before the throne because I have it all together completely. I come be- before the throne because Jesus has, has it all together. Mm-hmm. And it's, impu- it's given to me. Um, and so because he's the one that stands in my path uh, and has paid the consequence of price, I can boldly go before the Father. And even in shame, like even if it's with shame, mm-hmm. like, Lord, I messed up bad, mm-hmm. you know, and I repent and I'm confessing and I, de- I desire to be in your presence and to have things fixed. Uh, that's when the Heavenly Father's not, he's not like you read. He's not screaming as get away, unclean, unclean, mm-hmm. right? Uh, he's in, he, with compassion, embracing us in mercy. Um, and grace. So uh, any other thoughts on, on that passage as we wrap up here in just a bit? Yeah, as you're reading it, all the things you said, and just uh, thinking about, again, thinking about this in context with the prodigal son, the father running to his son, and then Jesus being tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin, he's able to sympathize and all this stuff that it says, and draw near to the throne of the grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Mm. And I I just, I had the line in my head, because the Father ran to his Son, Mm -hmm. and because of who Jesus is, we can run to the Father when we are broken. And like like you said, it's not, I can't go before him because I have it all together. We go before him because we're a bunch of broken and messed up people. Like that is, that's that's what he, he desires, a broken and contrite heart. Mm-hmm. That's what he won't despise. He will never cast us away. Um, and I think we we flip that sometimes. We think we have to have it all together. Yeah, Like you said, Jesus is the one who has it all together, and he's the one holding it all together Absolutely. for us. And he is our 
mediator. Yeah. So, so what's the implications as we close out? What are the implications as those who have accepted the Father's love, mm. those who were prodigals, we all were, we've all, all gone astray, right? The scriptures are clear about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do we now, uh, how do we embrace or listen or how, well, how does this change us? Like how does this make our daily living different knowing that the Father did this for us? So how do we now extend that same grace and love and compassion forgiveness, mercy. How do we extend that back out? What does this look like for us? Yeah, I think we have to continually receive it in order to give it, like be continually receiving it from God. You know, it's something we know. It's something that happened in our lives once we um, received Christ and got baptized. And But it's something we have to receive every day. And we have to trust what we know. I think that's it. And, and when we do that, we are then able to show it also to others and that whole idea of being approachable you know are we are we safe and um first john three just came to my mind mm-hmm. you know it's, it's it's showing the same love that we have been shown um not sure if i quite got to your question but that's just what came into my mind right when you asked it no i think you're right on i think i think that is the implication the implication is is that um humility knowing that i've been saved and set apart not because of what I've done, because the Father has accepted me and has forgiven me um, because of my contrite heart. If I observe that in others, I ought to do the same. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how we relate with God is how we relate with others and vice versa. How we relate with others is also how we relate with God. Um, and so understanding that as prodigals, that then when we observe that and see it and have it happen in our life, we need to be ready and prepared that to let God's grace flow through us in that moment as well and his mercy and his love and compassion. I can't do it on my own. Mm-hmm. In the flesh, it's not pretty, right? And so <laughs> Steve's response is, can be ugly at times, mm-hmm. whereas if I have a full, more full understanding of the fact that, and I live in God's grace and mercy and humility saying, you know, I don't, I didn't deserve this next breath. You know, I don't deserve anything that God has given me, and yet mm-hmm. in his grace and love, he's given it to me. And, and uh, then with that in mind, I think I'm more prone to being like the prod, the, like the father and the prodigal son, uh, parable, mm. uh, of saying, um, I love you, you know, let's, let's walk this out and, uh, let's see what can be restored versus, uh, casting out out of anger or frustration. And, and I think that's something the church has probably struggled with throughout the years is when people have a genuine response towards wanting to come back to the father, are we ready? Like, are we ready? And mm-hmm. is our posture towards them to now help walk them through mm. so that they can move from shame to uh, grace and mm-hmm. mercy and, and experiencing those things? We are, and part of this is is that uh, we are the extension, right? We are the body of Christ. And mm-hmm. so um, what we do, how we react, how we respond uh, directly relates to the people around us like it affects them and so yeah. we are his hands and feet so those are some thoughts i guess i have um you know as if as if a child were to come back repentant would we be in the posture of uh you know acceptance and, mm-hmm. and walking with them through their brokenness um or would we not and the same thing is true within the church friendships all these relationships uh this one this specific podcast just to be clear is not about what if they don't repent that's mm-hmm. a whole different podcast mm-hmm. this one is what if somebody comes back repentant and mm-hmm. seeking a restoration so yeah any other closing thoughts i just think in the context of you know showing this same love i had a question 
I think is helpful. Like whose mistakes grind us the most. <laughs> That's a whole nother podcast. Yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. Just in, in how do we, and why, you right. know, and thinking about that. And that might be who we are called to love, mm-hmm. you know, and it, yeah, that's a whole other podcast, but, right? You know, just thinking close relationships and how a relationship with other people, like you said, is tied to our relationship with God, and we are always imaging something. Correct. Correct. Absolutely. Well, we're going to go ahead and pause this parable here, and we appreciate you listening in. Uh, like we mentioned, if you have some ideas or thoughts on what you'd like to hear us con- uh, cover over the next few months, we'd love to have you email us. Uh, podcast seek first at gmail.com and uh, thanks for listening god bless thanks for listening to the seek first podcast with steve and jordan we hope you enjoyed the conversation today if you have any comments questions or feedback please feel free to reach out to us as well as any topics you would like us to consider in the weeks to come We encourage you to continue to seek first the kingdom of God where you work, live, and play. Blessings.